Welcome back to Dads on the Air, coming to you around Australia on the Community Radio Network. In this program, we bring you informing and entertaining conversations with a wide range of interesting people on topics of fatherhood, family and parenting, men's and boys' issues. Hi, I'm Bill Cable, and our guest today is Dr. Anne-Marie Slaughter. Anne-Marie is the mother of two teenage sons, and she's currently the president and CEO of New America, a think tank and civic enterprise with offices in Washington and New York. But the role she's most often associated with is that from 2009 to 2011, she served as Director of Policy Planning for the United States Department of State, the first woman to hold that position. In 2012, she published the article Why Women Still Can't Have It All in the Atlantic, which quickly became the most read article in the history of the magazine and helped spawn a renewed national debate on the continued obstacles to genuine full male-female equality. Amory, welcome to the program. Thank you. So, Amory, you've recently been to Australia and you were talking about your latest book, Unfinished Business. Now, this is a book you say you couldn't have written three years ago. Why is that? Well, it really was a book that grew out of all the reactions that I got to my Atlantic article many of which were surprising, uh, particularly letters that I got from men, from fathers. And many fathers, many men wrote me and said, look, you seem to think in this article that, you know, we men, quote-unquote, have it all, and we have life arranged the way we want. But in fact, you know, a man would write and say, I would love to be able to go home at 4 o'clock and coach my son's baseball team or be able to be there uh, for teachers' conferences or any of the things when your children need you and it's very important to them, essentially saying that they would like to be putting in much more time as fathers than as income providers, but the way society is set up, they don't have any choice either. Uh, and so that got me thinking. Uh, and then thinking just more broadly about why it is that we seem to always value the work that we do that, that brings in income, but we don't value the work of care, whether that's caring for our children or for our parents or for our spouses or uh, any family members, when the work of care is just as important uh, as the other work we do. But I didn't think of things three years ago. Actually, that seems to be a major message in your book, the the trade-off between care and competition. You don't just mean the caring professions like nursing. You're, you're looking at something more general, aren't you? I am. I mean, I, I would say we need to value the caring professions more. I mean, we value doctoring, but we don't value nursing or certainly, you know, health assistance of various kinds. I mean, there's a, there's a large part of the medical industry that is devoted to care. And then, of course, there's teaching and therapy and coaching and pastoral work. They're, 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 care for me is any work that is investing in others uh, more than investing in yourself. And I argue in the book that human beings have a competitive side, and I'm a very competitive person in many ways, 
But we also have a nurturing or caring side, and that's just the fact about us as a species. You know, we, we live in groups. We're social animals. Our children take a long time to raise, and we typically do take care of those who cared for us. And my point in the book is why should one kind of work be more important than the other? Uh, and the, answer, the ready answer to that is, well, men have always done one and women have always done the other. But that's not a very satisfactory answer. That's just an artifact of inequality, and we're trying to get to equality. So I think we, we need to, to value care as it should be valued, and we need to value it when men do it just as much as when women do it. Do you think that that women are perhaps genetically wired better for one-on-one relationships and that's why in, in those caring roles women have perhaps done it more than men? They might be better at it? Well, <laughs> so in, in my Atlantic article, I essentially have a line that implies or, or says, yes, you know, women miss their children more when they're away from them, I think I said. And Mm. the first person to pipe up about that was my own husband, (laughs) who pointed out that when we travel, he is more likely to call the boys than I am. Or he's the one who's most likely to think of it first. And I have watched and read and searched the data, and honestly, I do not think there is any biological evidence that says women are more natural uh, carers than men. Women may, uh, I mean, obviously women have babies, women breastfeed babies, uh, but there's a ton of evidence that shows that when men are exposed to infants just as women are, they have hormonal changes too. Uh, You know, there are single fathers all over the place who've done a great job. Now we have same-sex couples, two men who raise children with enormous nurture, you know, I think it, it is much more a function of individual personalities than gender. And so for that reason, you are encouraging a parental leave to be adopted in America, uh, which is something that yes. we, we've had in Australia for a long time. In fact, we have a very generous scheme, I think you'd have to say, in Australia, where um, men and women can take two years leave and they can get... Wow. And uh, payment, they get the women get 18 weeks on $675 a week, whereas the men are entitled to two weeks. Now, again, that's sort of entrenching a bit of discrimination between the women and the men as far as the caring, which is unfortunate. But uh, what sort of parental leave are you looking for or you think should be introduced uh, in America? I think ideally the United States would leapfrog the whole debate about maternity leave versus paternity leave, and indeed even parental leave versus caring for your own parents. Uh, The ideal for us would be a bank of family leave that you could draw on for up to three months paid to take care either of your children or of your parents or, again, of an ill spouse or disabled family member. Uh, And, you know, birth is different for women. I mean, obviously, some women have births that are difficult and they need more time uh, to recover from the birth and their ways of of allowing for that. But my overall point would be uh, we should not discriminate between mothers and fathers. 
that individual couples can decide who is going to do more of, of what and and but equally importantly we shouldn't discriminate in favor of parents and against those uh, adult children who are caring for their own parents, because that is a very big responsibility for many, many people as their parents uh, age. And the idea is simply that this isn't a gender issue at all. This is an, it, it used to be. I and mean, we used to have the people who did the caring were women who were at home, who didn't work or work part-time um, or didn't work out, out outside the home, and th- that's who did the caregiving. Well, now, at least in the United States, you know, between 60 and 70 percent of all women are in the workforce and don't have any choice in that matter uh, financially. We should simply make it family leave. And again, some states might be six weeks. I think you should have up to three months. Nobody's going to get anywhere close to a couple years, but, uh, you know, I think that that's just a much better investment in ensuring that our children and our elders get cared for. And there's there's even a model, I suppose, with uh, gay families these days that the they get together and decide, well, who's going to go to work and who's going to look after the children, and it's not in any way, in any way a, a sexist decision, is it? Right. Uh, they actually make the decision the way I think we all should, which is things like who makes the most money, who has the best boss, who has the most flexible kind of work. You know, if one person is a writer and the other is a business person, it's not that a writer doesn't need time, but, but he or she can take that time more flexibly. And then questions like, well, what do you want to do? As between my husband and me, I'm more driven than he is. We're, he's certainly equally intelligent, equally talented, equally capable, more so in many ways. But I'm simply wired to be focusing on constantly growing and, and challenging myself. And he has been He's been happier spending more time with our son. He has been deeply fulfilled in that role. And that those are the kinds of questions that I think couples ought to ask each other, whether they're two men, two women, or, or heterosexual. We're going to take a short break now. We're going to play a song dedicated to uh, our guest today, Dr. Amory Slaughter, and her position as CEO of New America. This song is called America by Simon and Garfunkel. On the bus, 
playing games with the faces. She said the man in the gabardine suit was a spy. I said, be careful, his bow tie is really a camera. We're back with dads on the air. And that was America by Simon and Garfunkel. <laughs> Our guest today, Dr. Anne-Marie Slaughter. Anne-Marie, you are in a, a fortunate position. Uh, you've had the, the choice between a number of dream jobs. In fact, uh, I think anyone would say you've spectacularly overshot your father's desire for you to have a career and some security. But does everyone have the choice to act on your message of uh, trading off care and competition? No, uh, and, and I'm the first to say that, that really my epiphany at, coming out of the State Department was not a complaint that I couldn't make it work or have it all, but that if even with every advantage possible in terms of income and full-time help and a, a husband who was a lead parent and a sympathetic boss, that if even I had to make choices and choose between my family and my career, most people who don't have all those advantages absolutely find themselves still in a tremendous bind. More women, I think, uh, than men, but as I said, many, many men actually wish that they were a different balance in their lives as well. One of the reasons I emphasize care, and this is particularly true in the United States because we just don't have the social safety net that Australia has, is that for many, many people, they can't afford decent care. Uh, in the United States, the cost of good daycare or any daycare uh, for two children exceeds the cost of rent in all 50 states. Uh, and so if you are you have to work to earn income, you end up putting uh, your children in, in often very substandard care. Uh, we don't have, uh, as I said, we don't have paid family leave of any kind. We don't have the right to request flexible work. There are all sorts of problems in our system that actually hurt women and to some extent men, but more women at the bottom of the income distribution much more than it hurts women like me who buy our way out of a lot of these problems. So one of the things I, again, came to in writing this book was a realization that not only do we have too few women at the top, we have far too many women at the bottom. And the poorest members of our society tend to be single mothers, more single mothers than single fathers, who are saddled with both caregiving and breadwinning, and we're just not giving them any support. To introduce some of these programs we were talking about, and you just mentioned then the things like sick leave, parental leave, even long service leave, we have a lot of these things in Australia. Do you think, and you might be in a good position to say this, do you think if uh, Hillary Clinton is made president, she will stump up with the funds to, to pay for these uh, these benefits? I do. I mean, she's she's going to be constrained if she's president by, you know, whoever's in Congress and, you know, a tight budget situation. But I think Hillary Clinton's politician, a woman, a mother, uh, a worker who realizes just how important these issues are, again, not just as women's issues. I think she would say these, this is a question of investing 
in the next generation and uh, returning our obligation again to the people who cared for us. But she sees these as social and economic investments, and she uh, will make them priorities, uh, but not as special pleading for any particular group, just as the marker of a healthy society. And there are some jobs where it just is not available. Uh, those jobs usually done by men are the, the dirty, the dangerous, the 24-hour jobs. There'll need to be some sort of arrangement if it's to be introduced broadly, the sort of ideal situation you're talking about. There are, there certainly are jobs where you can't be flexible, although it's interesting. There's, there's a lot more room than many people realize. You know, in the United States, we have all this software that companies use for just-in-time scheduling. So you might think you're going to come in to work a shift uh, and somebody on the shop floor or in a retail establishment realizes, oh, you know, there are not many people here today or demand for the is low or it's raining so nobody's uh, coming shopping. Uh, and the software immediately recalibrates how many workers you need. Well, you can use that same software to allow people to be much more flexible, even in situations where someone always has to be there, where you need pretty much uh, constant coverage, uh, it is possible for workers to, to uh, put in when they can be there and when they can't and change that if a child gets sick or you need to take a parent to a doctor or whatever it is, uh, and other people will cover. So there, there's more flexibility than often we realize. But I do recognize, you know, if you're a surgeon, say, this is a good example, you really cannot uh, say, well, you know, I'm sorry, I've, my child needs me, I've got to go home, or if you're an emergency room worker, for that matter. And there are a, a range of jobs. Uh, they're often also very well-paid, high-level jobs, like running an institution where your time is not your own. Uh, and in those situations, you do have to have an arrangement with a spouse or another family members to pick up the slack for you to be there uh, as, as what I call lead parent or, or lead caregiver. In that situation, I, I don't question it. I mean, I was in one. You couldn't be an assistant secretary of state uh, and have your job depend on the world and tell you know, the Egyptians to hold the revolution because I'd be back on Monday. You know, you just couldn't do that. And so in those situations, you do have to say, okay, my husband was willing to be lead parent. And at some point, I had to say, nope, I've just got to choose. I just, I can't make these, these things work, work together. But there are many, many, many other jobs where it is possible uh, to rework the way we work in all sorts of ways. Emery, you say in your book that if you had a daughter, you would tell her that it is her job to provide for her family. Now, that's not something you hear very often where women are actually planning to to provide for their family. Yeah, I mean, this is one where, again, we've made enormous progress over my lifetime because I grew up, you know, in, in Virginia and in the United States in the 60s and the 70s, and there were just not women working outside the home very much, certainly not in professional uh, positions. And in general, you know, the last 50 years has been a process of steadily opening up formerly all-male professions or jobs to women. Uh, and so now you have women all over the place, 
but I wouldn't say it's not a luxury. Many of these women are in the United States. Uh, huge numbers of these women went to work because they had to go to work to maintain their family standard of living. But there's still a double standard in the way we treat boys and girls and men and women. With young women, we say, often in this country, we say we expect you to do great things. We expect you to pursue uh, your passion and be a scientist or a doctor or a professor or an engineer or a, a fireman, fire person or wh- whatever it is you want to do. But we don't say that you have to support your family. With boys or young men, it's the flip. We say, oh, yes, we, we expect you to be a much more engaged father uh, and we expect you to, you know, support your wife in whatever work she's going to do. But we don't expect you to be an equal caregiver. Uh, quite the contrary. We expect you to uh, provide for your family. We don't expect you to be a primary caregiver. With a woman, we say uh, it, it's great that you work, but we expect you to be the primary caregiver, and we don't expect you to be a provider. Uh, and I just think that's not equal. Uh, you need, you have to expect equally that both men and women will be caregivers and providers in whatever measure they work out and life allows them to be uh, as, as they, you know, marry or don't or have children or don't or get jobs or don't. But it's still really a double standard where we we kind of hold men to a, role that was true in the 1950s, and even though women now, you know, work in all these professions, we we don't actually expect them to be providers in the same way, nor men caregivers. Yes, and I think it's, it's fairly well entrenched that uh, men show their care by perhaps being the provider, but uh, you, you have a note of optimism in your book, and you point to the examples of the change in societal attitudes towards smoking, the fact we've got a black president with same-sex marriage. Uh, is this your view on the, on the relations between men and women? Are you optimistic about the future? I am optimistic, absolutely, because I have seen such dramatic change in my lifetime. And in the United States, even five years ago, same-sex marriage was something that most people either didn't know about, didn't talk about, I certainly never expected would be the law of the land. And now, you know, it is uh, perfectly normal to read the marriage section of a newspaper and and see two men, two women, and and a man and and a woman. And I see younger men, my own sons, but also my my students, a growing number of of the men saying, you know, I I want to be at home when my children are growing up, or I want to be at least a fully equal parent, even if that means I'm deferring my own promotions or my own career, or I want to be a lead parent because I'm going to marry somebody or I, I'm, I'm, I'm with somebody uh, and her career or his career is going to be bigger than mine. And I think we have not given men nearly the same freedom uh, we've given women to say what they really want. I mean, if you are raised believing my job is to provide for my family and I don't have any choice in that matter, uh, and actually, I'd rather spend much more time with my children, or maybe you say, I'd like to be a, an artist, or I'd like to climb, you know, be a mountain climber. Are there any number of things that you may want to pursue, but as long as you feel like it is your job to provide, 
you don't even let yourself go there. Uh, and so I think once we open up that conversation for men and for women and really talk about equality, I know my own sons can't imagine why it should be their job to bring in the paycheck and their spouse's job to, you know, be the primary caregiver. They They think that's they think that's sexism. Which it probably is. These are fascinating topics, <laughs> and you can you can find a lot more uh, about this in, in Anne-Marie's book, Unfinished Business, Women, Men, Work, Family. Now, we've reached the stage of the program, Anne-Marie, where we ask our guests if they'd like to pick a song for us. Uh, would you like to tell us which one you've picked and why you picked it? So I picked uh, Teach Your Children uh, by Crosby, Stills & Nash, and it's one of my very favorite songs. It is a song from my teenagehood. It's, you know, it's teach your children well or or their father's hell will slowly go by. And I thought we need to teach our children differently. We need to teach our children that our boys can expect to uh, give care and love just as much as our girls. Again, they're quite likely to do it differently. I I certainly believe in, in all sorts of biological differences, but that doesn't mean it won't be every bit uh, as, as done as well as if a woman uh, does it. And I also thought it's a song that it, that that really does celebrate care. I mean, it's a it's a song that when you hear it, you it, it always makes me feel the kind of warmth of family. Uh, even even it's not a saccharine song, but it it embodies care for me. Must have a code that you can live by, and so become yourself. Because the past is just a goodbye. Teach your children well, their father's hell. It slowly go by and feed them on your dreams. The one they fix, the one you know by. Don't you ever ask them why? If they told you you would cry, so just look at them and sigh. And that was Teach Your Children by Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young. Don't forget, uh, we'd love to hear from any of our listeners. You can go to our website, dadsontheair.com.au, and send us an email and we'll be in touch. Uh, if you'd like to listen to this show again or any of our shows, go to our website, dadsontheair.com.au, or follow us on Facebook or Twitter. So it just remains for me now to give a very special thanks to our guest today, Dr. Amory Slaughter. Amory, thank you very much for being on the program and joining us in Australia. I enjoyed it. Uh, And if I can't be there in person, I'm glad I can be there by radio. Great. So uh, we'll be back next week with another show. But for now, it's goodbye from Dads on the Air.